0: At Disney World, they have this color that they've created that they paint everything you're not supposed to look at. So like the yeah. electrical transformers, the trash cans, the fences, all the stuff that isn't like part of the Magic Kingdom. They paint this proprietary color, and that color is called go-away green. Wow. And it's specially formulated to just not attract your
1: eyes in any way. That. And so much more coming right up on today's episode of the Podspotter. You're listening to yet another riveting conversation on the Podspotter, you lucky dog. Have you seen the number of podcasts out there? Don't even look, okay? Just meet me here every Monday, and I will have a brand new podcast for you to slip on and try out before you drive it off the lot. And hopefully you find it useful and entertaining, and if you do, tell people to subscribe to our pod. Word of mouth really helps. Visit thepodspotter.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at thepodspotter for extra content and info on upcoming shows. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) It's really a pleasure. I've been screening hundreds of podcasts. Andy exits. Woody's eyes come to life. The cowboy doll sits up, his expression changing from a smile to worry. Okay, everybody, coast is clear. The bedroom comes alive. Toys emerge from the toy box, the closet, the shelves, etc. in a flurry of activity. Potato Head, his body parts strewn across the floor. Ages three and up. It's on my box. Ages three and up. I'm not supposed to be babysitting Princess Drool. Ham, the piggy bank, flips one last penny into his coin slot. Potato Head walks up to him. All of his facial pieces are in the wrong slots. Hey, Ham, look, I'm a Picasso. Woody sits on the edge of his bed, observing all the activity. Hard to forget that opening scene from the original iconic motion picture Toy Story. Audiences all over the world were thrust back into a time in their lives when they affixed human characteristics upon their most prized childhood possessions. But humans have anthropomorphized the world around them long before you and I started talking to our G.I. Joes. As the ancient philosopher Xenophanes once concluded... Anthropomorphic representations invariably reveal more about the human beings who make them than they reveal about the divine. The same can be said for the anthropomorphic representations found in the delightful podcast from Radiotopia, Everything is Alive, where host Ian Chillog sits down with some of the most interesting guests from lamppost to chainsaw to can of soda for a one-on-one with some of the most common inanimate objects that occupy our everyday, It is intimacy with the inert. Ian gives voice to the voiceless. The conversations are touching, provocative, hilarious. And as Xenophane's found, the audience is always gifted with a revelation about the humans who make them. Thank you for being here, Ian. Thank you for sharing the pod with us. How are you?
0: I'm great. Thank you for that incredible intro to the show it's amazing i I, I, i'm sure i butchered xenophanes is it xenophanes 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 yeah
1: i think it's xenophanes
0: (laughs) i will say i've never heard potato head referred to without the mister but i guess like that's what his friends would like they not everybody would always say mr potato head but i don't know anyway
1: uh your podcast pedigree is uh is is kind of intimidating you've worked with uh, npr's fresh air you've worked on wait wait don't tell me uh you've worked on the show how to do everything with mike danforth uh maybe uh talking in a little bit about the various jobs you've had in and around radio and how it brought you to everything is alive
0: well i mean i think um all of those were great experiences that informed uh, what I'm doing now. All of them, I learned how important it is to edit a lot of tape down to a small amount of tape. That's probably the main thing. Uh, Real but, tape,
1: too. You were working with the old school stuff.
0: It's true, right? yeah. we On Fresh Air, we cut with a razor blade until 2007, 2008. <laughs> um, <laughs> which I will tell you, one thing about that is... Um, we would always have razor blades around and uh I still keep them because it is the best way to eat a Snickers bar. Um, which How's is that? what everybody did at Fresh Air. You if you just cut slices of a Snickers bar with a razor blade, you get this perfect like sedimentary layers of, you know, peanut, nougat, and caramel.
1: Is that the same razor you're cutting tape with that
0: you're then No, no slicing? you once the razor blade has gone out of service for the tape, then it moves. It becomes a Snickers. blade. Uh, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, and you don't go back.
1: Yeah. Here I've been grabbing the whole thing with my hand like a sucker. Should have been razor Savage. blade in my candy. I think yeah. razor blades and candy, though, that's kind of a bad combo, it right? That's like every classically bad thing. Yeah, yeah. classically <laughs> every like mid '90s parents nightmare. Um, yeah. So razor blading tape. NPR yeah took you to wait wait
0: so while I was doing fresh air I was also doing some reporting for shows like marketplace and you know kind of freelance stuff on the side um and then I went and worked for an NPR show called the Bryant Park Project in which was in New York and was short-lived but great um and then I left uh the I left NPR for a little while and then started kind of working a little bit for weight weight and then moved out to Chicago and worked there full time where I started how to with Mike um, and then yeah started feeling like doing my own thing a few years ago so I started extracting myself
1: from NPR And it proved to be pretty successful. Uh, Everything is Alive won the Miller Audio Prize in 2020. It was an Apple Best podcast in 2018 and was part of AV Club's podcasts that defined a decade, not bad accolades, Ian. Um, How do you describe Everything is Alive?
0: Well, I mean, I interview inanimate objects about uh, the experiences we never hear about. Um, but
1: is that I, I ever weird important. to say? Is that like, is that, it's, does that come up at dinner parties? Is. Oh,
0: Ian, what do you do? It's sometimes hard with, you know, ex- extended family. yeah um, yeah, yeah, where
2: Aunt oh, Lois? interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, you, you've heard the show. I, it's, it's a ridiculous premise treated with absolute seriousness.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. uh, I think that that helps the closest one that we've done is probably our pilot episode brian thompson's whatever happened to pizza at mcdonald's where he are you familiar with the pod oh oh yes oh yeah yeah. i mean it's right in line it's right in the same netflix queue it's just you know taking these uh seemingly trivial things uh incredibly serious and also using you know your 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 years of npr savvy uh, to sort of play with the form of the of the interview process and of uh, of, of the interview show.
0: No, those tools like the cliches uh, or tools of NPR they all work. Um, yeah. And so you know what might sound like a cliche when you're doing an actual piece of reporting, um, actually helps you make a conversation with a toothbrush feel like a real thing. <laughs> How
1: much of watching. Uh, you know, or listening to, to Terry gross interview humans has informed the conversations that you have on everything.
0: I think after our second episode, fresh air tweeted that the show was like fresh air, but for inanimate objects, which was, I was like, okay, we've done two episodes and I feel like we've, I've satisfied any goals I might have. Um, <laughs> Does
1: Terry listen? Is she a fan? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I think
0: I'm sure she's heard at least a couple episodes. Yeah. Um, it sounds silly, but I think like treating the guests with respect, whether they it is Madeline Albright or <laughs> or a musician or um a can of soda. I think that taking them seriously, mm. uh the things of her that I'm sure I'm mimicking without realizing it, I'm sure actually helped the show feel feel like a real thing.
1: She does mostly remote uh interviews, mm-hmm. isn't that right? Is it and and you're You'd like to be in the room with your objects. You're up close it, and personal with them.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's important. And sometimes we will have, so it'll be me and then the actor playing the object across the table. And then I sometimes find it helpful to have, if possible, the object there with us. So mm. we can kind of be,
1: be seeing it. Are you talking to the object then? Or are you talking, where's your eye contact?
0: I'm, I'm making, yeah, I'm making eye contact with the, with the one with actual eyes. <laughs> yeah. Mostly, mostly ignoring
1: the object. Is there anything from your childhood that you personified that you, what is your earliest memory of talking to objects?
0: Oh God. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I was a kid that did. I had, uh, imaginary friends, uh, okay. Fritchard and Heminen uh who they were two men who lived together and they had a dog named booper who i don't remember any of this but my mom said i would talk a lot about how booper was booper had died but we would talk about him in the past <laughs> so uh, none of those are in, inanimate but also none of them are real so yeah
1: they had a whole life. They had chores. They had responsibilities, your imaginary friends. Yeah. They weren't just there to serve you. They had like tasks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <to> no, t- <laughs> no. That's <laughs> <laughs> hysterical. All right. So it's in your DNA talking to things uh, and, and a playful, active imagination. Um, what was the impetus for this uh, uh, podcast? I mean, it was, you know, it's it was always kind of a way I joked around
0: imagining what like the last cannoli uh was feeling after all the others had been taken and, you know, it was just like a way to joke around with friends. Hmm. Um, There's probably something of like being at NPR and trying to book the best expert for a host. Um, Like there's like a banana blight and you, so you find the world's foremost expert on (laughs) bananas. But you know, if you want to find the most primary source, it's probably a banana who knows like the fear of waiting for the blight to come to his tree (laughs) Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, one thing I've realized is I thought the idea came about about a year before I actually put the show out. Um, but I was recently looking at the notes app on my phone. Do you, do you like keep yeah. notes for yourself? was so, I, like,
1: yeah, when I do these, I'm like, as I'm listening, I'm just like, Oh yeah. Do yeah. The notes. yeah. And I have like
0: hundreds of them that it's like a dream later where you just go back and you're like, what the hell? Yeah. Like there's yeah, this is yeah. just, this is, yeah. Oh, okay. And an airplane, it's yeah, no context. But, yeah. Yeah. But there was one from like six years ago where I had just written, um, something like sometimes I feel sad for the vegetables in the fridge when the light goes out. And I, so I think I was like definitely starting to think like maybe there's a story to play with here at least then, but forgot about it. Well, why don't we have you introduce yourself for us?
2: Well, what's your name?
0: My name is Ian.
2: My name is Ian. I'm a mirror. I'm Louise. I'm a shirt.
3: I'm William, and I'm a pants. You're just pants. You're not a uh, pants. Right. I'm pants, and you are shirt.
1: Ian, maybe talk us through the nuts and bolts of of finding object and then finding voice are these actors auditioning uh, for a specific thing in mind, or are you just picking friends? So I keep
0: a list of objects um, that I think might be interesting, Mm. um, which is just like, you know, I'll just, whenever something comes to me, I write it down in a Google doc. And then um, of those like 30 on that list, uh, the ones that feel the most likely to be a possible episode i'll start doing a little research on um to find because we always try and have like some real stories from the world of each object and so once i've done that research and there is actually some substance that we might play with um then we reach out to actors um our producer jennifer does all of our casting um and she kind of keeps an eye on the improv and comedy scenes. Hmm. Um, and uh, when we find somebody that seems like they might be right, we approach them and have a conversation where we throw three objects on the list at them. And, you know, would, do you want to be a toilet or a pencil or um, the moon? <laughs> and um, they're like, oh, yeah, the moon. That makes that makes sense. That speaks to me.
1: You, you have them do... Uh, a lot of research or is it all no. yours and you send them? Yeah.
0: No, actually I ask people not to do any research. That's a very, oh, important. wow. Yeah. I find I am, um, I have very specific ideas about what fact wise is going to be interesting. Um, and early on when we were piloting a couple of the actors did their own research and it was <laughs> like, um, you know, somebody's playing a sailboat and they're like, uh, oh, uh, yeah. Actually, my sale is uh, X-5-2, which was oh. invented in 1964. Got like, it. That doesn't... Yeah.
1: It became okay. a Wikipedia sort of info yeah. dump as opposed to the emotional, yeah. which it exactly. is.
0: Yeah. So the actor's work is all about kind of finding the character and finding, like, what about the thingness of the thing would inform their personality. So, like... Can of Uh, soda.
1: What what did you have Lewis do with can of soda early on? It's,
0: okay, we want you to be a generic soda, because I think generic sodas are funny. And um, (laughs) so I think together we were like, so what would be specific about a generic can of soda? Well, it would probably be on the shelf longer than Coca-Cola. So it would probably have a lot of time to think. So it would probably be, like, it would probably be kind of a self-styled philosopher type And it would probably be very, very reflective. It would also, because of the carbonation inside of it, probably have like some angst and tension, you know, kind of always. And then Lewis Cornfeld, the actor, took those kind of basic character notes and um,
4: developed it
0: into something v- very real.
4: Truthfully, here's how I expect to go, assuming that I am consumed. I'm expecting it's going to happen in the middle of the night when I'm not waiting for it and someone's going to open the fridge and pull me out and that'll be that. It would be nice to be poured into a nice big pint glass, you know. Frosty mug would be a pretty good way to go. That'd be pleasant, you know. I doubt that's going to happen, though. They don't reserve frosty mugs for go-to colas. That's just another one of those facts of life.
1: Okay, what jumps out of you immediately is yes, the the tone that we kind of talked about earlier, but just like the raw intimacy of your podcast is so I don't know dreamlike. That's also the sound design, but it's just so uh, personal that you feel like you're eavesdropping almost.
0: I think a lot of people who listen to the show have this experience of like feeling something while for kind of kind of forgetting what they're experiencing and feeling something and then realizing wait i'm feeling something for a can of soda (laughs) what's wrong here
4: i mean you're um you are delicious thank you you're very gentle this is a trippy feeling i'm not gonna lie all right my first report (laughs) feeling very spacious inside right now feeling god i got room to be yeah But I'm also, I'm feeling the warmth of the tummy. Very strange thing. I'm in two places at once. Spacious in my own body, but feeling warm and secure in your own tummy. Mm
3: -hmm.
4: Wow. All of a sudden, I find myself uh, thinking about my
0: body. I'm thinking about my body, and I'm hoping that my body is a good place for you.
4: I think so. I don't mind telling you my first impression of the inside of your own tummy. You seem to be taking pretty good care of yourself. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I almost went my whole life and never considered <laughs> how the can of soda felt being consumed. I'm just very thankful that you've empowered these inanimate objects. But I've definitely had that experience after, uh, you know, binging this pod. And I'm like, I'm wondering what that's done to your brain after, like, what your relationship with products is now after living with this podcast for three years. Is it sort of influence how you interact with the world around you?
0: Um, we did an episode with a bar of soap, um, mm. who is constantly getting smaller, mm. uh, as she sits in the shower. Um, and that one, for some reason, whenever I look at the, um, ever diminishing <laughs> bar of soap in our shower, I'm just, <laughs> like, I don't want to use it. I don't, you know, I don't want to contribute to its demise. I, I don't know why that one has stuck with me
1: more than the others, but. <laughs> I think that like, uh, I guess I've, it made me sort of, and maybe this is why this, your podcast resonates with people. Um, like it, it makes you think about how you just interact and use the world around you a little bit more, uh, in a weird way. And it's interesting, you know, for, for a time in our lives where we can literally have anything. If we just click a button, it'll arrive at my house. You know, it's interesting to reflect on the relationship with those things.
0: And I I think for a lot of people we've heard from, it's actually, you know, of course the things in your life don't talk, the people in your life talk, but the people in your life don't talk about everything and they don't always talk. (laughs) And uh, so it's, I think it makes people think about empathizing with the people in their lives and thinking about the other variables with people in their lives Mm. that those people aren't talking about. Um, but I I actually, in one of the episodes, I, I can't remember which one, but I talk about my mom has this thing. She always says that like, there's always a third variable, like Mm. with any other person in the world. If somebody blows up at you, if somebody seems like weird, um, and hard to know, like that person always has a third thing going on that you don't know about. And Uh so like, always consider the third variable. I don't know. I think that when you, find yourself having this like weird inappropriate empathy for an inanimate object. We hear from a lot of people that it makes them think about what empathy should they be having for the animate people hmm. in their lives. Yeah. I don't know. That's not my goal for the show, by the way. I just want it to be a fun show. That's just something that happens.
1: That's an interesting byproduct. Um, do you yourself have an improv uh, background no. background in performance? No, it's all just the, the, uh, the, the art of the interview.
0: I have a lot of anxiety about, um, these very talented improvisers and how I'm getting in their way. As oh, the show.
1: you're just as good. You go toe to toe <laughs> with these people. It's wild. Um, you mentioned the, uh, you like to have a bit of info though in, in every, uh, you, you do actual reporting, um, in, in every, <laughs> in yeah. every episode. It's not just, you know, sort of this high, uh, concept interview show. you, you have reporters out there digging into facts. And I think I'm curious about how, how you decide which threads to follow, I guess. Does it come out of the conversation and then you're like, okay, we're talking about soda while I was talking with soda. We touched on this. Let's investigate that. Or is that pre pre-planned
0: early on? We would pre-plan it because it, it would just production wise. It was easier to kind of be working on the reporting while we were also preparing the interview with the object. But, um, I found that because so much of our tapings are improvised, it was um, difficult to predict what, where we would want to go. So yeah, I I record probably with each object four or five facts or stories from their world. Um, uh, And then we use two. Um, There's actually one in that can of cola episode that we never used, which is amazing about the Soviet general in world war II who fell in love with Coca-Cola Um, he was working a lot with the Americans. He was like this hero to the Americans. And because he was working with them, he was constantly constantly drinking Coca-Cola and loved it. Um, And then when the war was over, he had to go back to the Soviet Union. He couldn't be seen drinking like the nectar of capitalism. So he petitioned the US government to petition Coca-Cola to make him a version that looked like vodka. And they made him white Coke which came in a clear bottle. It was clear and there was a red star on the cap. So he could drink Coca-Cola, but look like, um, a good Soviet. in Bible. <laughs> anyway, but so we did that with Lewis. It's a fascinating fact, but it didn't do anything to contribute to Lewis's character. So we dumped it.
1: That one made the editing room floor, but the one about Radathor, uh, yes. did not. And that's the one that's in the pilot. And, uh, <laughs> that was when we learned that we as humans made a, uh, we actually manufactured a drink with traces of radiation in it. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and Just you tracked down a guy on eBay, <laughs> <through> eBay <laughs> that had a can of this. And, uh, this is part of that conversation. <laughs> so you put up the Radithor?
2: Radithor? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Is that, is
0: that for real?
2: Oh Yeah. What happened was I was at a flea market and I found a set of about 20, 25 of these things. Okay. It was like a shipping crate or something. And uh so yeah, I have sold a few of those.
0: Now, and is it so, is it a reproduction or is it an original bottle?
2: No, these these are original. <laughs> yeah, original.
0: Did you check them with a Geiger counter?
2: Um I have not. I don't uh I I just assumed they wouldn't have any there's no content in them obviously but I haven't no I didn't I didn't check them with the Geiger counter I don't I suspected since they're from the 1920s it would be done gone
0: I think maybe it wouldn't be gone yeah, yeah.
2: I don't know maybe they wouldn't I don't know
1: hey, I'm listening to that conversation I'm like <laughs> I hope this is an actor did people think that was an actor
0: Person. yeah yeah people think that our humans are actors but they're they are all real i yeah. called that guy back a few weeks yeah. after oh the episode great yeah I to, to check on him because i uh yeah um he said he was gonna go get checked out uh he did he decided he didn't need to go get checked out but he, he was not. fine he okay was, no he was fine a few oh. weeks later at least
1: yeah oh boy all right well you know maybe next season we check up with that guy because it was <laughs> it was troubling he like hurries off the phone with you. <laughs> Um, when you're calling though, like the Met, (laughs) you know, and, and you're, and you're explaining who you are and you're like, I'm, uh, I'm having a conversation with a Sharpie. I need to talk to your top curator at the Met. Like, is there ever that moment of like, wait, I'm sorry. What, like, how do you get past the sort of first line of crazies (laughs) when you explain like what your show is? Mostly people are just like,
0: okay. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: uh, occasionally like people want to know if if they should play along like mm. if they should talk about um, and I always ask them not to uh, but yeah we've gone to great lengths to find these people in the lamppost episode there's a guy who um, the, the lamppost the famous lamppost that Gene Kelly swung around and singing in the rain this guy had gotten it off of a film set mm. and had it in in his yard um, in L.A. And we, I wanted to, I, there was a story in the L.A. Times from 1990 about this guy and how the lamppost <laughs> had been stolen from his yard. Um, and we couldn't find this guy for the life of us. Um, there's just like, I don't know, there was nothing. And I found a real estate transaction, I think from 2003 with his name on it couldn't find any phone numbers. And so I just sent a FedEx to that address and was like, Hey, I have this show where I talk to things. (laughs) Uh, (sighs) If you get this FedEx, please call me. I want to talk to you about your missing lamppost. Um, And I tracked that FedEx and I saw it got to LA and um, my wife and I were headed out the door. And I was like, he just got it. Can I just take my recording equipment in case he calls? She was like, he's not going to call <laughs> and we were on our way out the door and he called and yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's like a dumb amount of work to make this <laughs> dumb show.
1: <laughs> it's not a dumb. It's so fun. In that episode, yeah. Maeve, the lamppost, we get to learn. Well, you get to hear from Maeve and you get to hear the perspective uh, of a lamppost in the street, but then you also get this wonderful story, this real life story of what happened to the actual lamp. Okay. From singing in the Rain. and it was the story it was what it was what's the story? it was on this this guy he he worked for paramount, right, yeah. and he you, you tell the story better than I can
0: yeah, I mean i don't I won't remember all the details, but yeah, yeah basically, he was an electrician, um, and they were they were moving one of the sound stages, and he figured out through some record which lamppost there was just like a warehouse of these lampposts uh, from singing in the Rain. He figured out which one was the one um and as i remember just asked his boss hey can i take this and his boss was like why do you want that yeah and so he just he walked home wired it up so it worked and just put it up in his front yard um and and then legs got some kids kids stole it some stinking
1: kids stole it and you put out you you try to help at the end of your pod you solicit some information and (laughs) offer a a, a meager reward it still hasn't turned up though i imagine the singing on the rain lamppost oh man Yes. well you know you're no stranger to silly games on podcasts with your uh, wait wait don't tell me pedigree and we do love a game here uh you'll notice the pod swag wall behind me i'd like to get mm-hmm. everything is alive on that wall and the first okay. of a couple games i might have prepared for you is a little weird one called personification versus anthropomorphism i'm going to give you three phrases you tell me if it's personification Or if it's anthropomorphism, because I I struggled with those two, you know, researching your pod. And in high school, I also struggled. But if you get it right, this uh, Everything is Alive coaster, this inanimate (laughs) coaster, will go on the pod wall behind us. Um, Are you ready for personification versus anthropomorphism? (laughs) No. No, I'm not. Number one. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. Time grabs you by the wrist, directs you where to go. Um, I'm gonna say personification. That is correct. Personification is correct. Number two, my computer hates me.
0: Anthropomorphization.
1: That is also personification. Technically, mm. my computer hates me is personification. And the final example, the Cat in the Hat.
0: Uh. Hmm. I'm, I'm going to say anthropomorphism. That is
1: anthropomorphism. Very confusing. Uh, personification creates visual imagery, uh, while anthropomorphism, oh. anthropomorphism allows uh, animals or objects to, to act like human. It's them physically acting like humans. But wow. Like, that was a very just, subtle game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got two out of three, right? You're going up on the pod wall. Oh. Congratulations! You know,
0: we do have T-shirts, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you got the coaster. There are T-shirts
1: available. We had this custom made. <laughs> it was it's cheaper, nice. you know. It's yeah. This was in yeah. our budget. Yeah, it's a nice yeah. wooden coaster. And I want to uh, play a clip to see if our fans recognize uh, this podcast crossover.
3: My name is Connor, and I'm a I'm a painting. I'm a portrait painting of President William Howard Taft. You see him from the waist up, and he's wearing a double-breasted suit, sort of leaning back, looking off to the left—your uh, left, but my right. I'm a good painting, uh, not a great painting, uh, you know. I'll admit to that. And I think that's fitting. He was a good president, from what I gather. You know, probably not an all-timer, maybe, but uh you know, I wouldn't pick another president to be.
1: That is, of course, the great Connor Ratliff, whose dead eyes are. Spying on you from behind the uh, the pod swag here on the wall. I've interviewed Connor. I I can only imagine. I, I just I guess I have to ask you how much material from the Taft episode was on the editing room floor because he is one of those rare humans that you could just say go to and then it's like unbelievable. He's,
0: he's truly amazing. Like there's there's no one like him. No. He's he's been on the show twice, which is rare. He and and then any kind of side gig when people want me to have an object talk like it's just like call Connor because he will make it funny <sighs> and real.
1: And he must do research when you hear him talk about you know in this episode Taft like nothing he just goes right.
0: Well w- <laughs> just, you know we throw a little bit of research to okay. him. Okay. But um, but okay. no he like that his brain just instantly mm. finds
1: a character. Who is your most popular object? Do you have a most popular?
0: Um, I think. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, people people love Maeve. Um, yeah, she's great. People love
1: love the Russian dolls. In the Connor episode, we learned that. Uh, what painting was once an Olympic event? Was that the nugget <laughs> yeah. that you took? City
0: planning was was an Olympic event. <laughs>
1: City so it was plan- like the whole
0: art Olympics. <laughs> yeah,
1: and why was uh, why was painting taken out of the Olympics? you remember
0: there was a story that um whoever was the head of the olympic committee um wanted it gone but then in the course of the the that research we learned that the head of the olympic committee had actually um tried to compete in the uh, art olympics uh, maybe in painting and right. Had got an honorable mention, and then the next Olympics, they were gone. So <laughs> I think it was out of spite. Some yeah.
1: vengeful artists took it out. I liked yeah. the, I think there was an explanation also that was like, this is supposed to be for amateurs, and yeah, like yeah. only masters are painter. Like, if you're a painter, right. you're a master. That seemed yeah. like legit, but just funny that that's not in there anymore. Um, you always have moments of real uh investigation as we touched on but then you also have these real insights into humanity and uh i guess with taft do you remember a moment of sort of insight about humanity that he gave you or, or anyone in general that you like you're, you would have never come to that realization had you not had a conversation with a thing
0: there's one i think about a lot um from the grain of sand episode where um, his whole thing is because he's a grain of sand, he's lived uh, an almost infinite amount of time. And so he's been able to look at the world with a long view. Um, And he talks about human boredom uh, and says that boredom is essentially a symptom or an outcome of our anxiety about how little time we have. Um, because we know that our lives will end relatively quickly. Uh, It makes any time that feels like it doesn't matter, that makes us really anxious because we know we don't have that much time. And thinking about boredom as not just boredom, but um, as a response to our fear of our short lives. I think about that a lot.
1: I also had this really strange experience this week where I, 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 uh, okay, I I threw my back out last week. And so while I'm binging your pod, I'm laid up in bed and I can't move. I I couldn't move for two days. And I'm listening to Chioki, is that who is the grain of sand? Have that very conversation about sort of your relationship with time as I'm laying in bed. And I don't know if you've had this experience of being like laid up like this, but you have, there's zero time goes out the window. You don't, time is based on like how you feel. It's just based on like, you know, is it sunny out? I have no idea. And it was just very uh, dreamlike to be living with your pod and being sort of stuck inside my own, my my (laughs) consciousness just stuck inside my my body that couldn't, my body couldn't move. I felt I wasn't an (laughs) inanimate object. And he is having that conversation about time. And folks, I would direct you to Chioke's episode first. Uh, I think that's a great one to start with. That's a great episode overall. You also have, um, you talk to the husband and wife duo uh, that do all the prompts for the subway in that one. Is that
0: right? The wife, yeah. The husband had had passed away, but we talk a lot about about him, yeah.
1: Uh, And that is going to bring me to uh, one more game that we like to play. How well do you know your pod? America's fastest growing game. Everybody loves it top of the charts kids are playing it we're gonna play it here today how well do you know your pod you're at bottom shelf pod right now you only got two out of three right mm-hmm. so you're on the shelf but you're your bottom shelf we've got to get that inanimate coaster up to the top shelf um you talked to the wife of the husband and wife duo in the chioki grain of sand episode what is her favorite phrase that she hears from her late husband uh when she now travels the subway
0: hmm is it mind the gap
1: let's have a listen
2: i suppose mind the gap is the is the iconic one that's the one that everybody knows and everybody recognizes so i i love the fact that he is that voice but i i ran the london marathon in april because it was just something that I I kind of wanted to do I wanted to raise money for a cancer charity because you know in Phil's memory and I just felt it was a a lovely omen because I was staying in a hotel the night before and hadn't heard Phil at all um, and, and got to my hotel I think it was Hyde Park and the doors opened mind the gap please and I thought yep he's there he's watching out for me this is going to go well.
1: It's a great interview uh, with you and her. You have a great conversation with her. I wanted to let that run a little bit. Uh, what does sand have to do with Mind the Gap? How did you find those? How did you find the connective that, tissue there?
0: It was a circuitous route. Um, yeah. The So there's a thing in the London Underground that if there's an emergency, like a fire, a track fire, um, that they need to alert everyone to, every, all the staffers to, but they don't want to panic the customers. Um, they have a secret phrase that they say over the PA. And um, it's, uh, I think it's Inspector Sands, mm-hmm. Will Inspector Sands report to platform two or whatever. Um, and so Chioki, being a grain of sand, mentions Inspector Sands. And then we go, uh, we just call Eleanor. To talk about it because either I can't remember if, if she no it is her husband who said uh, the inspector sands message yeah because they gave him all the stern
1: uh, yeah yeah uh, yeah informative That's an messages. interesting fact yeah the, the yeah. man the, the male voice had to be the stern stuff and and she yeah. got all the that's wild well you got one right out of three so far let's continue on with America's favorite game how well do you know your pod in Shannon the towel how much time does a person save each year by using a towel instead of oh. air drying?
0: Oh God. We had that. Hours kid. of reporting. Yeah. <laughs> kid do the math. Um I've that kid, by the way, um, I've gone to him for years uh as a guest to oh, do yeah. yeah. I had him calculate once the um whether you got a better chocolate to peanut butter ratio in a traditional uh Reese cup or in the pumpkin shaped Reese cup that they put out at Halloween?
1: So um, Ian Ian regularly has mm-hmm. these math questions on his shows, on this show and I guess on how everything works or how, how to do everything. How to do it. Yeah, how, yeah. Yeah. Where you <laughs> he called um he called a uh like a mathlete some kid in high school. It sounds like he's in yeah. high school and you just ask yeah. him the toughest math questions. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Well in this one, um oh. how much time does a person save annually?
0: I have no idea. I'm going to say 14 days.
3: They save 1,881 minutes a year by using a bath towel. Mm. That's almost 30 hours that each person saves by drying using a bath towel.
0: So a towel gives me a little more than a day a year back.
3: Yeah, it gives a lot of time back.
1: There you go, folks. Keep using towels. That's Mm. a Shannon the Bath Towel episode. That is uh, one out of two. Let's see if you can get this last one correct, Ian, to make you a top-shelf pod. In Anna the Elevator, one of the most heartbreaking episodes, Anna is given the choice between love and duty. What does she end up going with?
0: Just given the choice between love and duty. Can't remember what you're talking about. Um, but I think she's going to choose duty. Let's have a listen. Has there ever been anybody who's walked into you that you secretly hoped would would never leave?
3: Yes. And it wasn't the first time that they... Rode me, it was more like after a while, after having this interaction, they grew on me in a way that I didn't expect. And I started to look forward to seeing them and to, you know, I, I wished that I could push the button to, to the 13th pole myself so that they didn't have to worry about it. And, and after that, I said, you know what? I'm I'm here to work. I'm not here to, you know, I'm not here to to fall in love.
1: It's beautiful, poor Anna in the elevator. It's so funny. I'm listening to myself talk to you right now, and <laughs> I'm f- like, I'm lower than I've ever spoken on this podcast mm. before. I'm I'm mirroring the energy that you put out on your show. I'm. I'm like, I'm source coding a little bit. Does this happen in your life? Do you do this to people? Is this strange, like Ian power that you have? I always think I'm susceptible to like
0: adapting to maybe we're co-adapting. I think we're
1: co-adapting right now. (laughs) We're finding a happy medium. I don't know, but it is definitely like a byproduct of listening to your podcast and the intimate nature of it that like, I feel very like I'm talking differently and I have no control over it. And I also kind of like it and it's weird and scary and wonderful. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more from Ian. You wouldn't buy a car without driving it or go on a date or two before marrying someone. So why not join me every Monday and sample a pod or two before you go and make it all official and add it to your library? Commitment-free, no strings attached, just you, me, and the host of an exciting new podcast. If you haven't already, please leave a review on iTunes. Check out our fancy website at thepodspotter.com and tell fellow lovers of pods about what we're doing here. We're playing the field. We're listening to everything. We are Potty amorous. You're welcome. I am a creative person that, has, you know, had cre- creative ideas that, you know, sometimes work and sometimes don't. And uh, I understand that it's hard to catch lightning in a bottle. And I guess I'm wondering if you've ever thrown human an object and it just, we're not airing that episode. It just doesn't, I'm sorry, your, your, your tree isn't a tree. It doesn't work. Like, does that happen? Oh, so much. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. 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 We fail a lot. Oh, yeah. how, how what would you say, what's your percentage of failure rate?
0: Uh, I think, um, I, sorry, I've estimated this a few different times and I think it's getting better. Maybe we're one out of five now we fail. Um, mm. and then each episode, you know, is 20 minutes and we're taping 90. So, I mean, I wouldn't consider those 70 minutes failure cause you're finding the stuff, but, um, but yeah, probably 20% of episodes. That's a really throwback. good
1: success rate. I mean, for something like this, that is unscripted. That's just like, and, and, t- and, and, but you're still doing all the research. You're still, you're still sending, yeah, yeah. you know, wow, my goodness. Um, and the, some of that makes it into deleted scenes then. I guess yeah. my question, a better question is of the deleted scenes, is there, are there any interesting factoids that you're like, man, I wish that episode worked.
0: There is one, there's an episode that, that we have never aired. Um, I'll, I'll keep the object nameless, but uh, a fact came out um, Mm -hmm. that at Disney world, um, they have this color that they've created Disney world and Disneyland uh, that they paint everything you're not supposed to look at. So like the electrical transformers, the, trash cans the fences all the stuff that isn't like part of the magic kingdom they paint this proprietary color and that color is called go away green and it's specially formulated to just not attract your eyes in any way it's just like the least appealing thing in the world not offensive but not uh, magnetic
1: and you say proprietary they uh, they invented it they own it
0: yeah disney Disney I don't know if they patented it, but Disney yeah. created Go Away Green.
1: Go yeah. Away Green. Um, probably about I'm gonna guess cheese. It was probably <laughs> cheese, which led to you to mouse did they give it away. Which led you yeah. to now we won't talk about it because <laughs> that poor actor, you know, didn't get to hear their episode. I would
0: just like to say I my belief is when they fail, it is hundred percent my fault and not the fault of the actors. It's yeah. It,
1: yeah. yeah, it's just a hard. It's a tough thing too that you're doing. It's unscripted. You're just kind of out there talking yeah. to, to, yeah. to things. Um, two of my all-time favorite pieces of information from your podcast that I learned was one: teeth once exploded. And, oh yeah, yeah, teeth, teeth, teeth once exploded, and hedgehog hospital. Do you oh, remember either yeah. of those factoids? And could you expand on either?
0: <laughs> yeah, I actually don't remember what made teeth explode um but the hedgehogs uh we, there we there's a hedgehog hospital andrews hedgehog hospital in london uh-huh. Uh-huh. um which during the taping of that episode which is the io balloon episode um yep. we discovered this hedgehog hospital and i got addicted to it um they for i think a 2 pound donation you could name a hedgehog and they would send you a certificate <laughs> which you could print out with a picture of a hedgehog and it would say like, uh, hi, I'm Zach. Uh I'm a hedgehog. Um and I I probably spent um three hundred dollars naming hedgehogs for everyone in my life.
1: Uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that the most that's gotta be the most exciting about thing about your job. Like I I enjoy doing this podcast because I have no idea what stories are going to enter my zeitgeist here from week to week. You've created a a world in which anything is possible and you can sort of investigate and learn about whatever kind of turns you on. Is that what is most appealing about the design of your show? I like that. I like that, certainly. I think,
0: I mean, the most appealing thing is like you were talking about Connor and just a moment when one of the actors does something that just finds a thing that is totally surprising and hilarious or revelatory. Like just watching this frame we've created, create something that I couldn't have created on my own. That's like, that's very, that's the most thrilling thing.
3: I just, I think I sometimes fantasize about what it would be like to be, you know, I've won the gold medal and, you know, I'm up there on the, the Olympics, the on the medal stand. Yeah. Uh, and they, they put the, they hang the metal around my, my frame and Star Spangled Banner is playing. And I just picture I, I'm, I'm standing there and everyone in the crowd, the crowd is all other paintings, and everyone is standing or, or, or on stands perhaps. And they're all so proud of me. Everybody's there in the crowd. You, know, you got Mona Lisa's there and uh, melted clocks. The uh, dolly's there. It's all the different. The scream, you know, but you know, like screaming in support, like excited, <laughs> like excited for me, like both hands on the face, and just like so thrilled that I've won the medal. I know. It, I know it can't happen. You know, I'm a realist. Uh, I'm a realistic painting, you know, uh, but it's hard not to think about that.
1: That was Connor Ratliff as a portrait of William Taft imagining what it would be like to have won the Olympics, a moment that could only exist <laughs> a weird in the, sentence in the weird sandbox that you've created for yourself, Ian. Um, do you 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 solicit objects from your from your fans from your audience? What mm-hmm. uh, do you have a most requested? I'm
0: trying to think, stethoscope, which we did, mm-hmm. uh, was requested. Um, Play doh is out there as a <laughs> as a requested object. We'll get is there to one
1: it. You can't wait to get to. Is there one you're excited about? Anything to tease coming up?
0: Um, I'm really excited to do a a whole. Just mm. a hole in the ground, uh, wow. which is not a requested object, but it's something I've been thinking about. I just think just a hole that kind of doesn't know where its bottom is. I think that's going to be a fun conversation.
1: Do your fans, uh, it's sort of the telltale sign of a of a successful pod when they've named them, set themselves. We like coming up with names for, for fans uh, here at the PodSpotter that don't exist. Do your fans have names?
0: Uh not that I know of,
1: no. oh, we gotta then I gotta float some ideas by you, my goodness, uh they're really supposed to name themselves, but in case they uh you know they 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 need a few suggestions, we have uh idol worshipers, if you're into that, okay inactive listeners, okay. nope, okay, a little bit more inactive listeners, uh <laughs> that's
0: I like it a lot, yeah, okay, feels, all right. yeah. I'm
1: just putting it out there, fans. Fans of the pod, you got (laughs) to name yourselves. Do you have uh, an induction into the Podcast Hall of Fame, a piece of audio, something from your show, that you uh, would like present when the inevitable Podcast Hall of Fame is built? As fans walk up to the kiosk of Everything is Alive and hit the red button, what sound or moment would you like to be played?
0: Um, I'm going to go with the, uh, the ending of the Sharpie episode uh which uh ends with a line by Tammy Sager um which uh just totally broke all of us um just destroyed the room and it's it's like an amazing dumb joke that ends that episode and I would I would I would nominate that yeah that was great um would you mind writing mm-hmm. something for me sure and then put it in the drawer with us yeah um Ed, I love you
1: uh, till the day I dry. It is a good button. Check out Sharpie. Uh, It's the last five minutes of our podcast, Ian. Uh, And as you know, no one listens to the last five minutes of any podcast by now. They're all done doing whatever they were multitasking with. And so it is just you and I. And I use this time to talk about whatever you know talk about the day talk about your life or get something off your chest tell off a former lover or a former boss anything it's the last five minutes no one's listening i'll go first as i mentioned i was listening to this pod at a time that i was sort of you know on the mend uh on my back not moving not able to get up and that first day of not being able to stand that first crawl into the bedroom when i'm just sort of in there uh I realized like an hour in my wife is you know taking care of our child and and doing chores and keep, keeping the house together. They went out on a walk at one point and it occurred to me I can't stand but I have to use the bathroom. I have to do something. I don't have a bedpan or anything by my bed. And I'm listening to your podcast as I reach for the humidifier to uncap it and pee into. And I'm thinking about this like I'm thinking of like a future season when you're when you're interviewing this poor humidifier and he has to recount this <laughs> incident. It made me think about the object. It made me compassionate towards the object. Is what I'm saying.
0: So the where you peed into was that uh-huh. where one would put water in? Exactly. Um, yeah, it seemed natural. It seemed fine. Yeah. yeah. So ha- did you have you thrown it away or is there can it get clean enough? Because you were then humidifying with
1: yeah i think that's that that, that's an instant toss for a normal person but i'm like hey this was a pretty (laughs) expensive humidifier i i can get it i can get it clean so i'm gonna try a couple washes and you know we'll we'll see how it goes but i don't know if you start to notice if i start to notice i'm breathing funny um or i start to see any sort of deterioration in my skin I'll, i'll i'll chuck it I'll chuck it. I think you should. Yeah. yeah. You. you think so? You think just instant toss? Yeah. Ah, I can get it clean. I didn't save the receipt from Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> so anything you'd like to discuss? Now's your time. No one is here.
0: Uh, I, w- I was warned about this and I thought about it. Oh. Um,
1: And I thought... You were, you were warned about it because you you certainly didn't listen. You no, didn't I've, hear it. I've, you, no, I've, I mean, you, I've, no one listens.
0: I've heard, I've heard it. Oh, okay. I have only listened to the last five minutes of your show um, <laughs> i I was thinking how good it would be what have you ever had anybody like like, oh, okay, yeah, well, since nobody's listening, um in two thousand four, I murdered a man. And I, it's just <laughs> and then your show just becomes this like true crime thing, yeah. and it's just yeah. about that from. Well then, let me say to you: that in 2004, (laughs) I have an alibi for the entire year. Your
1: your reveal is a fake reveal. I like. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'd love to be able to help you by having murdered someone 17 years ago, but I can't. Yeah.
1: Well, get on it. You know, it's only the beginning of the afternoon. Ian, thank you uh, for doing this. Thank you for sharing the pod. And uh, thanks for being a part of the last five minutes here and indulging me. Um, I'll take us out with uh, my piece of audio that I'd like inducted into the the Podcast Hall of Fame for you. And it is from from Maeve, the lamppost, whose episode I just loved. And her sentiment about, you know, all you can really do is just take care of your little spot, your little patch.
3: See, that's the kind of person that I used to yearn to belong to. If I was a little torch. Because she obviously respects and treasures light. And she probably brings one everywhere with her. If she has 11, she's got to be like bringing them all around in her adventures. So I'd love to go around. Where does she go? To meditation class. Oh, she's going to work in the office. And I would get in to see all those places and experience all that stuff with her. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas just being a lamppost, you're just Static. But as I got older, I just grew to accept look, you have this one patch, and you just do the best you can with this one patch.
1: We're always looking for new suggestions on a fresh batch of pods. Uh, Tell me what you're listening to and what hosts you'd like to hear from via thepodspotter.com or on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram at The Podspotter. Thank you. This has been Zach Robinos. The Podspotter is created by the Price Brothers, produced by Oink Inc. Radio, associate producer Tori Adams, and is recorded and produced at Baker Sound in
2: Philadelphia.